This is episode number 289. Do you believe in things that are not tangible? With Casey Berman. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through LinkedIn and Facebook Live, which is part of our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between one's personal narrative and in topics of grief, resilience, gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our archive on YouTube, where you'll be able to find all of the latest conversations. Or if you want to join us live, consider visiting our LinkedIn and Facebook. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Mr. Berman, how are you? How are you? you? I was going to say the show is brought to you by uh, speaker Scott Mason Studios, but I don't think he's ready for that as a business yet. <laughs> I don't think so. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's definitely brought to you by the my hair sticking out there. I just noticed. So, yeah. <laughs> that could my be a friend. good one, actually. That could be a good sponsor. That's uh, right. Like a barbershop. <laughs> exactly. Got to get a barber to help Casey with his Jufro here. Let me just get that in. So, it's sticking oh, out. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we're able to connect and, and uh, I mean, I'm grateful for many things, but I think one of them is the fact that you and I have somehow crossed paths and I think it directly ties to, into this question or a conversation that we're going to have as far as believing in the intangible. And I think one of the things that I have found fascinating when it comes to this concept of not tangible is connections. People that, that I don't know if you can relate to this, Casey, or anyone else that's listening to this, but you ever wonder to yourself, like, how do these connections actually happen? Yeah. How is it that a person from 10th degree, 20th degree of separation is able to connect with others? And so I don't know if there's an element of uh, faith, law of attraction or whatever you want to put it that is at hand. But I have been genuinely fascinated and trying to understand, like, how do these connections actually happen and, and what makes them possible? I mean, is there a larger game that, so to speak, you and I are playing and it just happens to be so that our puzzle pieces align and we connected or is there something else at hand how do you how do you personally understand that before we even dive into this well i think you need to ask yourself do i need to answer that question mm -hmm. so do i need to answer how or even why two questions there this connection happens mm -hmm. so if you think of planting a seed in dirt and then a little, little seed, and then a tree, a plant, fruit, vegetable, a stalk, something comes up. What happened there? I mean, we can describe it. <laughs> the seed 
with the soil, with water and sun came together and this little seed became this green leafy thing. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? I don't know. Like, I don't know how photosynthesis really works. I know it is. And I just know that that's what happens. I know, but in my, and you know, my kids ask why a lot, but, but how does the water and the sun and the dirt and the fertilizer, what does it do to the seed? So it changes. Well, it just does it. It just, what do you mean? It just does it. It just does it. Leave me alone. Right. So how do connections happen? I don't know. We can opine on it and we can go that route. I think there's a certain point where we just have to have faith in the world and say, it happens. The sun happens. Uh, connections happen. And when you do that, you are able to let go. You're able to let it be. You're able to kind of appreciate, which I know is something you've taught me to do, Ellie, to, to appreciate and be thankful for mm-hmm. what's happening and, and really enjoy it. Now, we can't get to the bottom of it. We're curious. We're inquisitive. I think that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and you do it. For me, though, sometimes that just can be another form of productivity. I need to get that answer done. Um, I don't want to say we shouldn't answer, but so I think the first thing is, is how do those connections happen? We can talk about energy. We can talk about law of attraction. We can, there's a lot of ways for me though. I'm at a point where I'm really just trying to appreciate it. Mm. Um, and you know, last night I, I went out with some friends, uh, here, San Francisco outside, um, got some dinner. It was fun to finally get out, you know, and, and saw an old friend. Um, there were people out, but the conversations that we had and, and the the ideas that came up, we met uh, someone else at the, and and I remember thinking like everything that kind of happened, we had a lot of fun, old friends, new friends. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I never could have planned last night and just, just the nice conversations and, and fun times that we had, like, I couldn't have planned it. Um, but it all happened intangible. Like, I don't know when you think about the world being around for the billions of years that it is, when you think about everything that's going on, part of me says, isn't it crazy that you and I are here right now? Look at all of the stuff that had to happen where you and I can, can now have this conversation here. So, um, I don't know why, and I don't know how, I think I'm just trying to appreciate it. So what makes you believe that then? Do you believe in it? That's an assumption that I just made there. Do you believe in things? I, I, it sounds like you believe in things like that. I believe in things like that. In non-tangible things? Do yeah. I believe you're saying? Mm-hmm. You have and, to. The internet but like, is. But like what's behind that belief? Like what 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 makes you believe that they are tangible, so to speak? Even well, though what's tangible? When you say non-tangible, give me an example. Love. Uh-huh. Love. Uh, connections. Uh-huh. Meeting people. Um, those are the top two that come to my mind right now. So we, you know, Michael Singer talks about this and I know you're, you're, uh, a reader of his work and, and I, I appreciate it so much, but he talks about how really our mind, not our brain, but our mind is, is how we process the world. And it's sort of this flat screen that we take in everything from the world. And really there's three things that we take in or that we process. One is through our five senses, external things, images, sounds, tastes, and so on. Then you've got your thoughts. 
which is really just that discussion you have in your mind. And then the third thing are feelings and emotions, which we're going to lump together here. There may be a little different, but let's just call them feelings and emotions. So you've got things from the external world. You've got your thoughts and you've got your feelings. That's it. I mean, that's really all the stuff that's in your mind. And so when you think about what's intangible and tangible, do I believe in this cup? Yes, because the atoms have come together in a form that my senses can gather. My senses feel it. It's, it's tangible. So if you take love, how do you make sense of love? Well, it's a feeling. I mean, we all know what love feels like. And we know what passion feels like. We know what lust feels like. We know what we know what we think love feels like or early stages of love. We know what deeper love. So I think I believe in those intangible things because I either make them tangible or I make them um, digestible in a way through either my five senses, through either a thought or either a feeling. I often wonder when it comes to just this whole concept of tangible and intangible if that's a word if not we just made it made it one but i wonder if one of the reasons why i try to make some of these things tangible is because my mind has a difficult time conceptualizing things that aren't or it's almost like i have to put it in a box in order to have it create some sort of meaning yeah. behind it otherwise it's it's too big it's too big of a concept to grasp i mean love is a perfect example how do you how do you define that because there's so many different perspectives depending on who you ask and depending on the type of love that you experience type of love that I experience with someone that I'm dating is different than the love that I experience for my parents. It's different from the love that I experience who are my teachers. It's different from the love that I experience who are complete strangers bagging my groceries at the grocery store. So I also find that part to be fascinating how it's such a large concept to begin with. And really the only way that I've been able to understand elements of it is to make it tangible. So believing in the intangible concept, but also making it tangible in order to make maybe that belief stronger yeah. or, or maybe even understanding that, okay, this is something I can believe in, but the really the only way I could believe in that is I have to be able to understand that to begin with. And right. To a I, degree. I, I, because I there's that. also this element where it's like, I don't really know what it is. Right. And I kind of given up on, on trying to define what it is when it's just, I mean, no words to even describe that, some of these topics. Yeah. So for me, you know, my example, and, and that was difficult for me growing up in high school, like I didn't, you mentioned elements. I didn't understand, I don't understand chemistry. Mm -hmm. I just, I just didn't get it. Uh, welcome, to, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, right. And I just, I, I didn't do that well in it. My buddy, uh, Roman helped me through it. He got it. He understood it for some reason, but, um, Always oh, a smart guy, but I just didn't get it. And you mean these molecules bond with that? Like, let me, I don't get it. How, why did they bond together? Mm -hmm. Well, that's just a hydrogen and oxygen just do, but a hydrogen doesn't with this one, but it does. Yeah, but why doesn't it bond with that one? Mm -hmm. Well, it just doesn't. But why? I don't know. Casey, leave me alone. Stop asking why, right? So <laughs> I, I didn't understand chemistry. I think because I didn't, to your point, I, I, I wasn't able in some form to make it tangible. And I think the way I, sh I am now making it tangible is literally just having faith in it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they just bond and that's just how it is. There are some things I just need to take it and say, that's just how it is. We're big baseball fans and uh, the, my Giants are, are playing the Dodgers tonight and, and moving forward to the World Series, which I'm excited about. But is it really know, that far already into the Oh, playoffs? yeah. Well, it's it's first round, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Division I know series. that they have a crushing record. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I watched one of the games. I think it was versus Diamondbacks, and I was kind of mind-blown how yeah. one team literally had a polar opposite record. Like I didn't even think that was possible to achieve in a season. <laughs> 100, 107 wins for San Francisco Giants. So Jeez. it's it's fantastic. It's just been such a great season. But you know, in baseball, for example, yeah, the the fields are are the same, but the outfield fences are different. Each stadium, mm-hmm. you know, you got the Green Monster and Fenway. Some some right field lines are two ninety nine. Some are three hundred five or whatever. While in football, basketball, hockey, the court are all uniform. The playing field in baseball, they're slightly different. And you know, my my daughter said, Why is that? And I said, I mean, that's that's just that's just baseball. And she looked at me like, What do you mean that's just baseball? Like, why? And now it might be because baseball was older and it was built in small in 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 Boston, New York, in cities where there were other buildings, you know, it wasn't these big mega complexes. So that's just how it is, right? But with chemistry with baseball, sometimes you just have to say, that's just how it is. And, and move forward so I can understand it. So I think your element, the point you were saying in life in general, for me, chemistry, baseball, whatever it is, there does come that point where we need to just say, this is how it is. And I'm, I need to move forward if I want to continue to try and understand and get my arms around, around this concept. Well, I also think it's a great metaphor for life to begin with, because what I was thinking of as he was describing, you were describing that analogy is that wherever I'm at, for for example, even along this travel, the playing field is going to be different. In fact, it is different. As, as I mentioned earlier, and, and Scott didn't get a chance to hear it, I was telling people that this was brought from the Speaker Scott Mason Studios in Manhattan, New York. But I, I find your story to be a huge metaphor for life because those playing fields do change depending on where I'm at. Right yeah. now I'm in this ballpark, so to speak. Next week, I'll be in a different ballpark. And the, and there's also, I think, a connection to this concept of intangible because then the intangible is more so how do you choose to show up and what can you make out of those particular circumstances, which yeah. is also, I think, ties into this element of story and life in general. I mean, every single set of circumstance is a different ballpark, so to speak. One may have 400 feet until you hit a home run. Some ballparks, you may never hit a home run. Yeah. You might, you might be stuck on at first for the rest of you, not the rest of your life, but as long as you're there. Yeah. And so I, I find baseball to be such an interesting game as far as the metaphor, metaphor goes, because every field is different. It is where you, what remains consistent is you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and when I say you, it's not, this is slippery slope because it's not our identity because it's not Casey Berman because I am different at my age now than I was at five. Body mm-hmm. is different, mind is different. We're, you know, we're different. I think the you, as 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 Buddha says, as as Jesus says, as all the great sages and masters have said, is that that observer of your thoughts, that observer mm-hmm. of the tangible and the intangible, the observer of your feelings, the observer of what comes in through your senses. That 
has remained the same throughout all of our lives while we as players have changed and while the the playing fields themselves have changed Mm -hmm. how do you personally know so i've been interested in this concept for a while and you and i might have had this conversation these conversations before but in regard to this concept of you how do you know when you are stepping into the new version of you is that even a thing like do you do you notice that or is that just simply your perception of the you is changing but the you is always remaining the same so Alan Watts, the, the British philosopher of Zen who popularized Zen for America in the, in the 70s and 80s, he quoted one of the, the great yogis whose name I forget, but when someone would say, hey, master, who am I? Um, the, the yogi would say, who wants to know? So to your point, I would say, Ole, who is the you who wants to know? And you'd say, what do you mean? Who is the you? Who is the I? And because there's two you's here, there's two eyes. Mm-hmm. And that is the identity, the the Oleg, Casey, all of us in this in this world. And then there's the you, which is what Disney movies and again, what the great sages and what everyone talks about, what what John Lennon and Bob Marley, you know, we are one and and all of the the great songs let it be have said is that we are there's one energy there's one source so who are you talking about are you talking about oleg or are you talking about the fact that oleg is an extension mm-hmm. of the big bang is an extension of of the the intangible energy of the world mm-hmm. and who which you wants to answer that question mm-hmm. because great question (laughs) the you the extension of all the energy already knows the answer Mm. already knows who it is who i am who you are Mm -hmm. and that is we're all we're all part of source we're all part of god we're all part of nature we're all whatever word you want to use the you ole casey who's really concerned about who i am is separate from that Mm -hmm. now I think, and this is what I'm trying to get to, but I think the true alignment, this this middle way sort of that that Hindu and Buddhists talk about is this idea of being able to recognize that you have one foot in the game. Mm-hmm. I am Casey. And then also having one foot out of the game saying, but I'm also an extension of the spirit. Yeah. and um, And that's okay. I'm good. And it's kind of like knowing you're, it, it's almost observing yourself while you're in the dream, but still enjoying the dream. Yeah. And that, that probably goes back to your famous movie, The Matrix. The Matrix. Which I still haven't seen. I got to make the time to do that. I, I did start um, the first one, I think it was 1995, something like that. Something like that. It was. Um, it was, it was a rough one. It was a rough one to get through for the first couple of minutes, but that's because I had very high expectations Yeah, just based on how movies are produced nowadays. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely going to um, take some time and, and, and actually go through it because I think that the message behind it is very strong and it's applicable and it's relatable to what I've been through and, and to what I believe as far as the intangible goes. And what's helped me with the movie is after you watch it, particularly the first one, watch some analysis i can send you some but there's some folks on youtube who do a great analysis of the movie itself mm-hmm. show you things obviously and that that you might have missed and help you with the meaning but it really 
they're, they're, there's such great messaging in there and it pulls from, again, these messages are, have been in front of us for thousands of years and some of us choose to heed them. Mm -hmm. Some of us know they're there, but have trouble just kind of getting their arms around them. Um, and then others are totally ignorant to it. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you think about what the messages really help, the messages really help us find alignment and peace and help us find joy and bliss and help us overcome kind of the things that really plague us most in our lives, which is anxiety, yeah. which is depression, and which is a feeling of, of being separate. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to the point, and I know Billy Atwell has joined us here and, and he believes in a, believes in a similar point, And that is, I know in my life, there were chapters where I desperately wanted to fix other people based on the messages that I was receiving and believing yeah. in. And I, and I realized that after um, a while, I, I was just embarking on an impossible mission. I was trying to introduce change in people's lives where they didn't even want that change to be a part of their lives. So that, that's been an interesting thing that I've been able to observe throughout my own journey is when it comes to some of these things that are intangible. For example, one of those is being in business and especially for anyone who's listening or I know you can relate Casey or Billy or anyone else that is in the field of entrepreneurship. That's kind of what the field is. At, at the core, or at least one of the elements, it's believing in the intangible. It's believing that somehow, some way, I'm going to meet people along the way that can that are going to help me progress with the particular venture that I'm a part of. All of that for me is just based on a belief system. Starting off, there is no tangible cash flow that just you know enters your account, and as soon as you log in, you have a hundred thousand dollars to start off with. No, you have zero, and sometimes you got to go into the negative to turn it into a positive. Another metaphor for life, but at the same time, it's just that's also what I realized is when it comes to these these topics and these messages, and the movies like The Matrix and so many others that I've been able to see, I've really stopped doing that. I've stopped trying to fix other people. I've tried. I've stopped trying to convince and win them over to my side that hey, this stuff actually works. And just became a lot more conscious of just my own self and trying to understand that it works for me. But at the same time, it may not work for others. I may well, not be everyone else, everyone's cup of tea, which is true of really like if you think about it, of everything. That's why there's that beauty and contrast. Well, I mean, that's why the, the, the line, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And <laughs> I would go to why are you trying to help people? Mm -hmm. Is it to do you want to preach? Is it because you've seen the light and you want to share it with people? Is it because you, um, you need to, to prove something to yourself? There's a lot of reasons. Yeah. Why. And, and we want to help. I think being of service and supporting others, I think it's just more of what purpose does it come from, from the helper? What, what is the source? Um, and people will sniff that out. They'll understand if you're kind of for something on them, um, or, or kind of sincerely there to, to help. So, do you think uh, that's ingrained in us, the desire to help others? I do. I mean, regard notwithstanding with the media and s the message that we see of separation, mm -hmm. I think for the most part, uh, we all understand that we're one energy and one en energy. We're all connected, and and we do want to help people without a doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're told something else, but I do think so.
Yeah, because I was wondering about that. Where does that desire to help others or even not necessarily human beings, but just living beings in general really come from? And, and I was wondering if part of that is just something that is ingrained just within the DNA or something, or it's a construct, something that's been developed and just repeated for many, many generations mm -hmm. to come that said, hey, this is the thing you do. Mm -hmm. um, I, one of the things that I, I've seen here quite often walking the streets of New York is, um, once again, it's somewhat related to the intangible concept, but it, it's there was a line, I think it said something along the lines of, if you, if you could be anything in this world, be kind. <laughs> Similar print, I mean, how if you ask anyone what is kind, you're going to get different perspectives of it. Yeah. But I think it's like believing in that intangible that, okay, this is what I perceive to be kind. And this is how I'm going to act in the world. And yes, someone else's version of kindness might be different. But at the same time, there's still that commonality that mm -hmm. you and I are, I guess, striving for the same thing, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And so Immanuel Kant, who was a, I think he was, um, where was he from? I think he was Dutch, but he was uh -huh. European philosopher, 1600s, 1700s. You know, he had the categorical imperative. And his point was, if you're going to do good, the only way you can, and I'm going to butcher it a bit, but the only way <laughs> that you can do good is if you do it without wanting to do good. Like you kind of have to do it without any self getting anything out of it. Yeah. So if you get a good feeling of helping someone across the street who needs help for it to really be good. You, you can't get your ego. You can't feel good about yourself, something along those lines, or, or you want to do it for the, the act of doing it. Now that I get it. That's kind of hard to do because like mm -hmm. we said, our thoughts, our feelings, like if I feel really good helping someone, what am I going to do? Resist that feeling. Now I'm resisting something. Yeah. So I think you, to your question, why do we help? I, I think it's ingrained in us. I think we also, in the same way we need to eat, in the same way we need to breathe, in the same way we're looking for connections, helping, again, notwithstanding what the media and everyone that says how we're, we're killing each other and we're all separated and we're all different and get alarms and bars on your windows, notwithstanding all of that, mm -hmm. I actually think for the most part, there is an inherent need for us to help others. Yeah. Help them because we know it's just altruistic and also it, it's it's oxygen for us in many ways. Yeah. Well, I, I had this conversation. This was many months ago by now, but this is a something that I continue to repeat in the back of my mind, and that's people need people. Mm -hmm. I genuinely believe in that concept, and I think this person I was having the conversation with, she also helped me realize that people help people and people need people. <laughs> And that's where I think how we even started this conversation as far as trying to understand or you you framed as far as why is there even a desire to understand that you and I connected, that I connected with so many other people and how does that happen and what's really yeah. at play? Like what is the force? And I, and I think what I'm realizing at the end of it is the reason why I try to understand some of these more intangible things because it's really the only way, not the only way, but one of the ways that I create meaning. Yeah. The other way to create meaning is just to accept it for what it is. It happened. Casey and I got introduced. And then from there, I can either give it a reason or I could just let it be. I don't yeah. even have to give it a reason. I don't even have to define what yeah. the trajectory of our of our friendship could be moving forward. I very much so believe in tangible and the intangible. 
And if you think of everything, I mean, everything really is one or the other, because even if you have a cup or you've got a, a picture frame or you have something, your mic in front, that's tangible. Yeah. It, it is just a bunch of, of atoms bouncing around and they're forming it in a way that, that you can knock on it, but it's really just space. It's really just space. Isn't it um, kind of mind blown? It's, it blows my mind to <laughs> think about that. And like this chair, everything I'm sitting on, it's literally just like you said, a bunch of atoms just going like this. And then yet I'm perceiving it as something that's like. And, you know, if you take my phone here and you tap it, yeah. like this is a dead thing. Like there's nothing there, like a rock. But there's still, and this is what Alan Watts talks about, there's resonance. I mean, yeah. there's still the tap. There's still something intelligent to a rock. It's not just a dumb rock. Mm -hmm. Like there's still a sound. It's still, there's still resonance in there. There's still some sort of communication, if you will, even just a tap. Now that sounds crazy. And Casey, you're talking to rocks. That's not my point. My point is that by tapping on a rock, you can kind, you, you get this idea of how it is literally just a bunch of atoms bouncing around in a certain way to to form something yeah for me the intangible if you think about why it, it's confusing like we even need to ask the question do you believe in things that are not tangible mm -hmm. but that's because i think a lot of us in the world we don't realize that the world works on vibrations mm -hmm. it doesn't work on words we think it does but we've talked about this before, how inexact words are. If words were very exact, we wouldn't need a thesaurus. But we have synonyms. And synonyms are beautiful. It's great how we can use all of these different words to describe something. Um, phenomenal, magnificent, awesome, mm -hmm. huge. Those are all great words that we can use kind of in the same way. But it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. And what mm -hmm. that does then is when you're thinking about something intangible, when, when we, this is where meditation comes is where quieting the mind comes. This is where moving from all the distraction comes from. When you tap in to the intangible, you make it tangible and you don't make it tangible in the sense of all of a sudden you spit out money or spit out food or <laughs> spit out that person you want to life, but you enter that field. Yeah. You enter that field in your mind and in your heart, and that is tangible. Think about x-rays, for example. I mean, for many years, there was no machine to that could reach that frequency. Mm -hmm. Now there is. Mm -hmm. And so what was something that you just, it was a frequency no one could get to, now we can get there. So all of a sudden, does that mean it was only tangible when we created an x-ray machine? No, no, no. It was always there. We just couldn't tap into it. So my question there is then, when it comes to words and when it comes to things that are not tangible, such as frequencies, is the big difference between the two is that one was one has been accepted as a form of communication and the other one is not? Is that really what the difference is as far as why things like frequencies are perceived as things that are intangible? I mean, they are intangible, like, you know, I can't grab it and hold it. But at the same time, like it, uh, to me, it's just another language. It's another form of communication. And I'm, I'm really curious for why in many communities, it seems like that level of thinking is perceived as, you know, alternative thinking or woohoo type of thinking. Like, okay, now it, you've lost me type of thing. I've been in those conversations and I would be talking to someone and I would use things like frequencies or vibrations and the person literally just tunes out. 
Yeah. And so the question that I have is like, do you think that's because of the fact that one has been accepted and the other one is not? Is it as simple as that? As simple and as complex? I think it has a lot to do with our culture, Mm -hmm. America, developing countries, whatever the case may be in, in our day and age. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, we are about uh, productivity. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I believe in democracy. I believe in capitalism. Those are the isms that I'm, I'm swimming in. Right. So, but in those isms, what comes to the forefront is prioritized is industry is productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, by the hour, we have commoditized time, which really isn't a thing. Yeah. And if you think about it, Greenwich Mean Time, which is in England somewhere, is really where the clock of the world is. And that's because in the mid-1800s, all of a sudden, train tracks were laid and we had trains and people all of a sudden needed, there was the industrial revolution and they were going into London or elsewhere to go to work. And people were late. Mm-hmm. And they said, so they needed to, over 20, 30 years, they needed to find a way to reconcile and have one consistent time. And they said, mm-hmm. all right, starting now, it's 8 a.m. All trains need to run off. I mean, it literally just came, hey, we can't have you be late anymore. We've got a bunch of coal we need to mine. We've got mm-hmm. things we need to produce, right? Because we're the British Empire. And so that's how it came out. But now we've got, we're, we're, so now we look at time. We bill by the hour. We bill our time. So I think when you're looking at it that way. That's fascinating. Right? When you're looking at it that way, what, if I can't see it, I can kind of feel it, but I'm not going to go deep because I got so much to do. I don't have time to meditate. Then over the years, this idea, and particularly a lot of it from, from Asia, Zen, Buddhism, uh, meditation, connection, a lot of it uh, didn't make it in America, in what we would call the Western world. And I think, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I think it's great that democracy and a lot of the beliefs from Europe and America have have permeated across the world. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think, and I've, I've read about this, a lot of the traditions that you found in India and Southeast Asia and China and Japan are being lost. Yeah. Now they're still practicing Zen. I'm not saying it's it's dead at all, but a lot of those type of practices are being lost in the pursuit of capitalism. And and then, you know, we as Americans go, oh my God, there's this thing called Zen. It's really <laughs> cool. And you know, and it's like, oh my God, they've been doing it for thousands of years. Like great job, Americans, for actually importing a way of thinking as opposed to, to exporting. So I think one reason why the woo woo and the connectivity people eyes may glaze over is it's really just not in our culture. We haven't been taught those things. Yeah. And what, I mean, this is a topic for a whole other conversation, but I think even in regard to this concept of Zen, in my opinion, and based on my observation, that's something that's, I mean, it's been tried to be monetized. I yeah. see apps all the time that says, Hey, meditate for this, but really, I mean, it's the first five minutes and then the rest you got to pay. Yeah. And so the, I think that, I I don't know, everyone has their own perspectives and everyone has their own beliefs. But for me, it kind of loses the meaning a little bit. Like, yes, I get it. Someone spent the time and developed it and put the program and stuff together and they should be um, rewarded accordingly with money or whatever the exchange is. 
But at the same time, like if that's the culture that's promoted to begin with, to be in the moment, to do some of these things, it, it loses slight meaning for me. But once again, I'm just one person, yeah. you know. I'm okay like, with, with the exchange of money in that sense. Where, where, where I've learned and where the trap I've fallen into is what am I quieting my mind for? What am I meditating for? So am I meditating and quieting my mind so I can get a result, so I can make money, so I can, and that's fine, be a better father so I can, you know, that's great. I think the true, I don't want to say true, I think, maybe it's true, I where an area I'm trying to get to is to quiet my mind, get the empty mind, which is not no mind, but get the empty mind for the sake of itself. So literally to go and quiet my mind and meditate or however you want to get there for the, for literally just to be empty, not to be happier, not to be make more money, not to say that I'm cooler or say that I'm holier than thou or more spiritual, not to manifest something in my life. Those are cool and you can do it. I, I can tell you after a, a quiet time, I'm a, I'm, a better husband and and a better father and easier to be around and chiller. But at the same time, I really just kind of want to do it for the sake of doing it itself. Um, now my thoughts will come in and jump in and that's difficult. Yeah. I'm always like, well, what are you going to get out of this? <laughs> um, but, but where's yeah. the reward? <laughs> so I'm trying to go into the non-tangible for the sake of, of the non-tangible itself, mm -hmm. which is I'll a very non-tangible way to think. <laughs> <laughs> Out of respect for your time and yes. everyone else that's been a part of this. What are some ways that people can find out the non-tangible things that you have been able to make tangible for other people? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, great question. Thanks for having me. And anyone can find me at leavelawbehind.com. I help unhappy attorney, being a former attorney myself, I help unhappy attorneys uh, understand and learn there is a better way and they can find non-law careers that they love, they're good at, and that uh, make them a good living. Mm -hmm. Quick, uh, quick question regarding that. And that, and I don't know if you have shared this through the numerous uh, blog posts that you have at leadblogbehind.com and LinkedIn and all these platforms, but how difficult was it for you to perceive the non-tangible when it came to leaving that career to begin with? As far as like a possibility of transitioning into something new and becoming what you wanted after that. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I left the law over 16 years ago, a long time ago, and I was just blind. I mean, it was leap and the net will appear and uh, the net always didn't appear. So I had a lot of bumps and bruises and, and learned the hard way many times, but there was something intangible, some voice. I just knew I had to do something and I, and I had the courage to do it. Uh, but I don't, I wasn't aware of what we're talking about here. Um, I'm still in my formative stages. I'm still just learning. I'm, I'm such a newbie at this and, and such an amateur, but at least I'm, I'm taking my baby steps to, to see through the matrix. Right. But back then I think I, I had one little inkling voice of there is a better way and I can't describe it, but for some reason it, I kept listening to it and then I followed it. Mm. Yeah, I just I I like to ask that. Oh, especially from you because you you've been able to make a transition, and and yeah. that's the thing that you're doing. So I was always curious, like how 
how difficult is that? I mean, I, I've been not in the same exact position as you are, but similar <clears throat> chapters where I wanted to leave certain chapters or right. exit out and find different ways. So it's just, it's always been in the back of my mind. And outside of that, just, I want to thank you, Casey and Billy and everyone else that's been a part of this. And I, I look forward to the intangible of our friendships growing and connections growing and, and just continuing these conversations. So just great stuff. want to thank Thanks you for, for being me. a part of this, of course. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can get all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.